Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message is, What's the Plan with That? What's the plan with that? Um, Every once in a while, my wife uh, will get excited about uh, just purging. I I don't know if anybody's like this where uh, one day you just pop up and you're like, let's just throw stuff away. And she'll start going through the house and she'll start looking around corners. She'll look in the garage. She'll, we have these lockers. Um, she'll look through the lockers. She'll look under beds and she'll start pulling stuff out and just being like, do we need this? Do we really need this? And uh, this offends me deeply because there are things that I have stashed around the house uh, that, yeah, I bought on a whim, okay? It happened. And some of you are judging me. Um, only because you do the same thing and you need to blame somebody else. And I brought a few of the things that my wife was wanting to get rid of, and these are related items, okay? I, I don't have, I, I have a bad back, okay? I was in a car accident when I was a kid, and it threw out my back, and it's, it's never been right. And so I had seen some advertisements. Anybody else, Instagram just gets you sometimes, right? And I'd seen some advertisements, and so I got some stuff that I'm just going to get rid of all of the, the, the aches and pains and muscle tension. And so I got this, this foam roller. Have anybody ever seen one of these? And I'm like, man, I'm going to get this thing. And uh, you're supposed to lay down on it and just roll it over your body. And it hurts so bad, and that's why you know it's good for you. <laughs> and I got it. I'm like, I'm going to use this every day. I bought the premium one too, right? I didn't go with the cheap one. I bought the premium one. And my wife recently was, was like, hey, um... What's the, what's the plan with that? Uh, because I hadn't really been using it uh, for its designed purpose. It was sitting in the corner of our room and the cats were using it as a scratching post and uh, I would like to like hang pants on it, um, which is not really what it's for. Um, and then she, she grabbed this, which is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things before. Some of you are like, is that a torture device? Uh, kind of, self-torture. This is the original Back knobber two, which how can it be the original if it's the second one? I don't know. That's just a logical thing for me. And I saw this thing because this is, again, supposed to work out knots in your back. You, you, you put it here and you pull down on it and it's supposed to like work out all the knots. And I got this thing. I'm like, this is going to change my life. I used it so much for like three days. And then it ended up like in this locker in our house. And then we got this thing because I was convinced at one point that we're going to use this a lot. Now, I'll be honest, I don't even remember what this is for. It looks like a giant eraser. It doesn't work. I've tried. It's made of foam. My boys just use it to throw at each other while we're watching TV. I don't know if that's what that's supposed to do for my back, but that's what we use it for. And oftentimes with a lot of this stuff, my wife will, you know, just hold up something and be like, what is the plan with this? And maybe this has happened in your life too, where someone has held something, grabbed something, pointed to something and was like, what is the plan with this? And if you're like me, you hate that question because the answer is there is no plan. Okay, I purchased this without a plan. The reality is like, you know, you, you like me, you saw it, and then you wanted it, and you had to have it, and so you bought it, and then you barely used it, and now you're kind of over it, but you're probably still paying for it. 
because you bought it on credit. And I think there are so many things in a lot of our lives that fit into this category, like things that we just had to have, we needed them, and now we don't even use them. And I think we've all done this, but we don't just do it with the big things like treadmills and bread makers. Uh, we do it with all sorts of things, like everyday things. And I'm not saying you're frivolous. I don't think you're that way. If you're like me, the reason why you bought any of the stuff that you have is because you need it. You really needed it. I mean, you need your Starbucks, okay? You need it. Nobody wants to see you without it, okay? That's how you get the courage to face the jerks at work, okay? That's how you get the courage to make it through the end of the day. Like, you, you gotta have it. You need to go through the drive-through. It's the one beautiful thing in your morning, right? You need to look good. I mean, you can't be wearing that shirt next season. People are gonna know. You gotta be in style, you gotta be in fashion, you gotta keep up with the trends. True, you're just gonna buy a new black shirt, but this one's gonna be cut different, okay? Because the styles change, and you're gonna need to get that. You need to see this movie the weekend it comes out, okay? Because if you show up, guys, to softball, and you're the only one there as a scene Barbie, they're gonna judge you, those other guys. <laughs> they're all gonna be talking about it, and you're not gonna know what they're talking about. You're gonna be left out of the circle, and you can't have that. You need a nice phone, okay? Because you use it for work. Mostly games and social media, but some work is on it. And you gotta get the newest one, okay? Because when you are taking crappy pictures of your dessert, you need to make sure that you could blow it up and cover an entire wall with the wallpaper of it. You gotta have it, you can't settle for the old ones. You need it. And I think we think this way because the word need has become skewed in our culture. In reality, many of our needs are really just wants in disguise. And isn't this so easy to see about other people? <laughs> they don't need that. But about yourself, you're like, but I do. I do need that. Maybe you're like, okay, you know, I, I hear you. Maybe I don't need it, but I deserve it. Okay, I feel like I really do deserve it because it's been a tough day or half hour. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, I work hard, okay? I put up with a lot of stuff. I have been so brave today, okay? I deserve to be celebrated, and if no one else is gonna celebrate me, I am gonna celebrate myself because this queen deserves a treat. <laughs> and I'm not, nothing crazy, you know what I mean? Just, I'm just saying like, just a little something, just like a little pocket-sized party, you know? I'm just gonna get like one little scoop of ice cream, okay? Just, just one frappuccino, maybe like a couple trinkets on Amazon, just one uh, pair of shoes, just one tiny little 17-piece wardrobe set, just, just a teensy-weensy little Tesla, I just maybe a four-day <laughs> trip to Hawaii. I'm nothing crazy, okay? I deserve it, okay? I've been trying really hard lately, and people are like, trying hard at what? And you're like, living, man. It's, that's, I'm doing it. And all of us do this. And I do want to just say at the top, there's nothing wrong with, with treating yourself, okay? I hope you do. The issue is insisting that you deserve treats you can't afford and indulging in them more than you should. And a lot of us fall into this trap because the question we can't seem to answer is, where are the lines? Like, how do you tell the difference between something you deserve and something you just kind of desire? How do you tell the difference between a want and a need? Because when you become convinced that your wants are really needs, even more will only ever feel like never enough. 
And a lot of us are caught in this cycle where we keep getting more and it's not working. And I think this is the question. How much is enough? You know, how, how, how many pairs of shoes is enough? How nice of a car is enough? How many Amazon packages per week is enough? How many meals out is enough? How many exotic vacations is enough? And as I'm asking this, you already know what the answer is. More. Just a little bit more. Okay, nothing crazy. Just more than I have right now. And this is why the line keeps moving, right? And you keep consuming and the treadmill of life keeps going. Because if you don't predetermine when to cut yourself off, you never will. You'll just keep acquiring. And that's what I think a lot of us are doing. We are filling our houses with all kinds of stuff. We're filling our garages. We're filling our closets. And because of that, we're putting ourselves deeper into debt. We're working harder and harder to sort of like keep our head above water and to keep up with the people around us. But no matter how much we get, it never feels like enough. And I think the bottom line that we don't want to admit is that we need limits, but which ones? And how do you determine what they are? And uh, many of the, the authors of scripture address this idea because it's not just an us problem. This is a human problem that has always existed, trying to find the lines of enough. And the apostle Paul, who's credited with having written the majority of the New Testament, says this to uh, someone that he's mentoring in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, he talks about the idea of enough. And he says this, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Other translations will say, like, if we have something to wear today and food enough for today, that's enough. In other words, like, if you are not currently starving or naked, you're doing great. You're doing great. And as I'm looking around, I don't think anybody is starving, and I haven't seen anybody naked, okay? And I don't want to in this service. Like, these are your base needs, right? These are the have-tos. Everything else he's saying is a, a, a nice to have. But there's a, a reason that when we hear this, we don't agree with it. And the reason that this is is that we don't tend to divine a necessity according to what we need, but according to what those around us have. Because when we think like, I need it, it's not actually because we do need it to function and survive and have a happy life. It's because we feel like since everybody else has it, the, the line of what is minimum required has gone up and we have to match the standard of the people around us. And we get trapped into trying to keep up. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this in verse 9. He says, People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Brutal. I love that he starts this with saying like, okay, before I say what I'm gonna say, this verse is only for people who wanna be rich. 
Which if you're like me, you're like, you mean everybody? <laughs> like, this is America, buddy. Like, everybody wants to be rich. We want to have more than we need. But he says, like, that this desire to constantly have more and to stack up all the stuff around us, it leads us to feeling trapped, being plunged into ruin, wandering from our faith, and piercing ourselves with many sorrows. And I wonder, like, if you have ever been there before, if you have ever felt trapped by how much you have to make to cover your base bills, if you have ever made a, a single decision, thoughtfully or impulsively, that ruined your credit, if you have ever prioritized how much you feel like you need to earn over connecting with God and other key relationships. I wonder if you have ever bought something that you hoped would impress other people and you got it and they didn't seem to care and you were bummed that it didn't make the impact that you'd hoped. You ever done any of this stuff? I mean, I haven't, but apparently these people exist, <laughs> Paul is saying, okay? And uh, apparently they're not doing good. And Jesus actually has something to say about this topic too. He says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He says, who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out, and then everyone will laugh at you. Thanks for that, Jesus. Some of you are like, isn't Jesus so nice all the time? And he's like, well, if you do this, that's cool, but everyone's gonna laugh at you because you're an idiot. That's really what he's saying here. But Jesus is interested in waking us up to the truth. And by the way, he is saying this in a, a longer sermon about spirituality, not money. He, he's using this common sense financial principle to sort of educate people on the fact that they need to think through their lives. They need to have a plan. They need to understand where their lives are going. And he's like, you know, uh, really following Jesus and living the good life is going to cost you, and you need to pre-think through that cost before you make a commitment. The reason why I bring this up here is that the common sense financial illustration he's using is not common sense anymore. Because we don't think this way. We're like, who would begin a, a construction or remodel project without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish? Literally everyone, Jesus. Everyone, you never heard of credit cards? 90 days, same as denarii? Okay, like, what if you really need the building now? What if, what if this opportunity is for a limited time only? You ever think about that, Jesus? What if you're pretty sure you're about to get a raise, maybe? <laughs> you ever told yourself that rationale before? I'm about due for a raise. It's probably gonna be this much, so I'm gonna go ahead and spend that money. And part of the point Jesus is making here is, Often, we feel like we need to get or do or have something now, partially to impress other people, but because we really can't afford it, because we're reaching beyond our means, not only are we stressed, but the people around us are not impressed, and they end up laughing at us because we become the cautionary tale. Don't do that. Don't be like them. They're not loving their life because they are stressed out because of how much they've overreached and overextended themselves. And basically what all of these New Testament authors are, are telling us is you need to make a plan for your money and live by it. 
Because making a plan is how we pick priorities and practice patience. Making a plan for our money is how we pick priorities and practice patience. And our culture actually has a word for this. It's called a budget. Say it with me, budget. Some of you are like, I didn't even think you knew what that was to somebody that you've been sharing one with for years. And a budget really is just a, a, this, this intentional, predetermined plan for your money. And you create one by deciding your values, differentiating between your wants and your needs, and determining what limits you're going to live by in your life, which I'll just be honest, I don't want to do because I don't want limits. I want to be able to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it when the mood strikes me. Don't try and control me, woman. I'm sorry, I was having a flashback to a fight we've had. But here's the reality. Even though we don't always want it, we need limits. This is a part of the maturing process. Like We all need to be faced with the reality that we can't always get what we want. That some of what we want isn't even worth getting. And that even if it is, and we do end up getting it, we're going to have to save, be patient, and wait for it. Our culture has a word for this philosophy too. It's called adulting. And many of us struggle with this. There ought to be a values-based reason behind what you will and don't do uh, with your money. How much you will and won't spend on certain things. And knowing this makes it easier to explain to other people, including your kids. I think a lot of times when our kids ask us for things, um, if you're like me, the the tendency we want to say, because we're not going to get it, we're just like, no, we can't afford it. Okay, we can't afford that. And that tells them that you're poor, not that you live according to values. It's, it's also not true, right? Because you can afford almost anything you choose to budget for. The honest answer, if we're handling our money, stewarding our money well, ought to be something to the effect of, I'm choosing not to spend money on that right now. And here's why. I've prioritized this instead. This is a bigger value to me at the moment. This teaches the people around us and our kids that we don't just haphazardly spend money, that we live according to a plan. And certain things are more important to invest in than other things. This is healthy for anyone to learn. Learning to make and manage these sorts of trade-offs in our life is the key to adulthood. And when we refuse to make them, we wind up exhausted and overwhelmed and overextended, living incongruent with our values, feeling anxious and empty, striving but never arriving, grasping at things like whatever it is we think is going to make us happy or fulfilled or make us liked or feel normal in the moment. And here's the, the, the real rub of this is that not only does this stir all this up in us, but we pass it on to our kids. They sense our stress and absorb our anxiety. They receive the runoff of our overspending and they're learning how to use money based on how we use it. 
So it's not just our fulfillment that's at stake. If we have a family, it's theirs as well. Which sounds sad, but fortunately, I think that there is a way forward. There's a, a real simple way to budget that I think even kids can comprehend. And I just wanna lay it out for you today so that hopefully you can absorb this into your life if you haven't already, and also give you tools to be able to teach it to your kids at a very young age. And it's a three-jar system that's really just, uh, you know, these three jars right here. I'll move this back, Knobber. Uh, some of you are eyeballing it, and you can use it later. <laughs> My wife is actually hoping I'll give it away today. Not going to happen. I'm going to keep it. But the first jar is this, is this uh, to give. It's the give jar. And uh, essentially, the, the reason why we want to give first when we're laying out a budget is, um, at least in our family, if we're organizing our money according to our values, one of our top priorities is to be generous people. Because we believe that everything we have comes from God, that God blesses us so we can bless other people, and we want to be generous people to reflect our generous God. We don't wanna be self-focused and stingy and fearful with our finances. We wanna live open-handed and open-hearted. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, that you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. It's our generosity, actually, that wins people over to know that God is good. When people see that the people of God are generous, they begin to believe that God is generous. And the truth is, God is generous whether you are or not but people are deciding who he is based on how you live. And this is the goal, I think, to always be generous. But I've noticed something. It's really difficult to be generous with, on every occasion if you've already spent everything you have on yourself because there's nothing left. Now, because we're in church, you might expect that I would um, translate this idea of, of giving or being generous to mean pay your tithes. And while I think that's a great thing to do, and I want to encourage you to do that, the generosity that Jesus is talking about, that the Apostle Paul is talking about, is something much bigger and broader than that. Yeah, I think you should pick a percentage of your income and set it aside to give to God through your local faith community um, to further what God is doing that's impacted your life so much. But also, I think you should buy other people lunch sometimes. And I think you should give other people gifts. And I think when you catch wind of a need that other, somebody else has, that you are willing to chip in and contribute to it because you've planned for it because you're generous. That's the first, that's the first jar. The second jar is to, to save, to save. And essentially, to save just means setting aside money for the future. And some of you are like, wow, that is, let me write that down. Um, <laughs> and there are many different reasons uh, to save and many different things to save for, right? You know, uh, planning for retirement, that is a big thing to try and save for. Having an emergency fund, saving for your kid's college fund, okay, saving up to buy uh, a Travis Kelsey jersey signed by Taylor Swift. I don't know what your goals are. 
But a lot of these things, if they're big enough, they need to be saved up for. And this is why budgeting actually helps us to practice patience because it teaches us to have and to set long-term goals and to slowly chip away at them. It's the opposite of impulsiveness. It requires us to wait and to learn how to delay gratification, which is a skill we and our children all need. And it's one that doesn't come naturally. You have to practice it in order for it to take hold of your heart. And in the last category, it's our favorite, uh, spend. The spend jar. And this is the category where you get to use it right when you get it, which is why a lot of us love it. Uh, it's what you leverage to meet your wants and your needs in life in the reverse order, of course. Um, and it, it's helpful uh, when you try and figure out what you're going to do with the money that you're going to spend now in your life to sit down and to make a list of everything that you need, everything that you just kind of want, and then to put these things in a priority order according to your values so that you can set limits and know what you're going to do with every penny that you get. Um, and in case you've never done this before, I would just tell you like this is the most basic way to do it as adults is to start with number one, the bills that you have to pay, the things that you need to do just to continue living, right? Your rent is a big one, okay? Phone, your debt, your utilities, your taxes, they will put you in jail, okay? These are things you have to do. The second category are things that like you wanna do, but you don't technically need, but they're helpful, right? So like a gym membership, okay? It's great, it's helpful to get to go to a place, but you can run around your block, you're never going to, okay? <laughs> it's a nice to have, it's helpful, but you don't need it. A second car, a lawn guy, DoorDash, the, the good pet food, okay? Some of your dogs eat better than you do, and that is not a need. That is the one. I love that you love them that much. I love my cats. But let's be honest, if I died in my house, they would eat me. Okay, that's <laughs> the way that they're animals. We love them. They're part of our family. We've bought them sweaters. But like, listen, it, it's not a must-have. And then lastly is like just the stuff that you like. You like it, but you don't need it. Streaming subscriptions, designer clothes, going out to eat, coffee runs, getaways, upgrades, books, bunnies, and brownies. The three B's of budgeting, books, bunnies, and brownies. I don't know who that's for, but it's, it's going to minister to somebody. And this is where, like looking at these three categories, this is where knowing, you know, what, not just your big picture values as a Jesus follower, but your specific values as an individual come in handy because we are all called to be generous and wise, but the way we live that out is going to look different from person to person. And it's okay for us to organize our budgets differently. Like, it, it's, it's kind of absurd to say that we should all spend the exact same amount of money on clothes. Uh, we have different types of jobs. We have different environments that we're required to be in. Um, it's okay for some of us to like designer things and for some of us to have no taste for it at all. It's okay for some people to want to go on really nice trips and other people to like rather put that money into having a nicer or a bigger house. Like these things are fine. The important thing is having a plan that you write according to what you value and sticking with that plan. And maybe you're thinking like, okay, 
that's great. How much are we supposed to put in these jars? And the reality of it is, it's, that's up to you. There is a little bit of guidance in, inside of Scripture and, and even in our culture. In the Old Testament, um, the ancient Israelites are told to take 10% of their income, of whatever they have, and to give it back to God through their local faith community, which for them is the temple. By the time we get to the New Testament, you have followers of Jesus that are still giving to the temple because they're Jews, right? And they're giving to the Jewish temple. Um, but they are also looking to give as much as they possibly can to their faith community to care for the needs of other people that are surrounding them. They're seeking to be as generous as possible. And I think often when we give or when we look to what we can give, we are asking and determining those limits based on the wrong questions. We're thinking like, what is the minimum I have to give? As opposed to the attitude of the early church, which is, what is the maximum I can give to really be truly generous? And a lot of financial experts in the safe category would tell you a similar sort of thing, to take 10% of your income and set it aside for retirement. But you probably have other things that you want to save for as well. My wife and I have, I think, five or six savings accounts right now that we're saving for different things. And what is important is for you to know what those goals are and for you to begin setting and earmarking money aside so that you can be financially healthy. The, the thing that trips a lot of us up is that a lot of us, we do not have a plan for our money. We know this is statistically true in talking to financial advisors, but a lot of us, we do this in sort of the reverse order, right? We, we wanna like spend and save and then we'll give at the very end, right? And what ends up happening, if you're like me when I was younger, is we're like, woohoo! Didn't quite get to that, <laughs> right? Because we love getting to use what we have on what we want right now, and yet this sets us up for failure. If you believe Jesus, it sets you up to have people laugh at you. But more importantly than that, it, it just, it sets you up to be stressed about your life because you're living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to keep up instead of having a plan to be a person of values. And so this is the challenge that I wanna give to you this week, to commit to a three-jar budget for a 90-day period. And some of you are like, 90 days is a long time. But you can do it. And I, I, I not only wanted to challenge you to commit to this, but to invite and involve your kids on the journey. And the beauty, I think, of, of this sort of three-jar budgeting system is that kids can do it. Like, you can actually give little kids a set amount of money, whether it's every other week or every paycheck or uh, every month, and you can help them to divide it up accurately into these compartments. Uh, I think it helps to actually have it in jars because kids don't understand how spreadsheets work, but they can see dollars and coins in jars and to indicate to them, like, this is the practice. This is how we live. You can help them divide it up into save and give and spend. And you can help them to, from a young age, begin to handle money wisely. And giving on a consistent basis, money that they have been 
given and having to give that away, it will teach them to be generous and open-handed in life, which is something we want for our kids. Saving, which is probably not gonna be for retirement at eight years old, but it's gonna be probably for a toy or an experience. Them, just like it does for us, it's gonna teach them patience and planning and delayed gratification, which is something that we need experience with as we're younger so that we can grow older and understand the value of it. And also, they need to have spending money because spending money teaches them what things actually cost and how to make tough decisions with limited resources. It also keeps your kids from harassing you about every little thing they want. Because we do this sort of thing with our kids. Now it's, it was jars, then it was envelopes, and now they do have a spreadsheet, okay? And essentially, this is the most beautiful thing as a parent, just to let you know, of them having spending money. And them saying, mom, can I do this? And she gets to be like, you know what? That's not in my budget, but you have your money. Is this something that you wanna spend your money on? It's interesting how many things get demoted immediately. <laughs> oh, when I thought you were gonna do it, it was the most important thing in the world and proof that you love me. But when I gotta pay for it, you know what? I don't know that this is the most valuable thing at the time. And they get to practice. And here's the thing, your kids are gonna make bad decisions. Wouldn't you rather they make those decisions at six, seven, eight years old, 14, 15 years old in your house than making it at 21 years old, 30 years old, with something much bigger. It's so much more brutal at that stage. Being able to experiment with this sort of living is invaluable. And some of us, we, we didn't get that experience, which is why things have been tough for us financially. But I gotta tell you, learning how to manage money isn't a matter of knowing, but it's a matter of doing. We have to practice. And kids without opportunities to practice handling money often grow into adults incapable of managing money. And this is where some of us exist or existed, is that because nobody really taught or trained us how to do this thing, we got to be adults and, and somebody, gave us a job and, and handed us money and, and we're like, woohoo! And a week into the four months that that check has to last, it is almost gone. And I would tell you, so many of us live this way because we didn't have an opportunity to practice. But here's the beauty, you can start practicing now. Imagine what your life would look like if for 90 straight days, you actually stuck with a values-based budget. It's gonna be difficult, but imagine how you would feel about yourself and your stewardship and your life at the end of that chunk of time. Imagine how much closer you would be to the things that you really want in life. Can you imagine for some of you how much easier it would have been for you if your parents would have taught you this system at a young age? the tools that you would have that you just sort of had to figure out for yourself. I wonder how much future generations relationship with money in your family can be transformed with you deciding to take ownership of the way you live and use your money now. So this is what I wanna challenge you again. Take 90 days, 
Watch where every dollar goes and live according to these principles and just see what happens. In fact, uh, here at South Hills, we uh, wanna partner with you and help you in the first piece of this. If, if like us, you're like, man, I feel called to be a generous person. Maybe not even a Christian, but you're just like, I like that idea of being generous. For those of you that are Jesus followers, we are called to be generous people. And every single year, a couple times a year, we do something called a 90-day giving challenge. And in fact, that was one of the other cards on your seats as you came in. There was like 15 pieces of paper there. One of them is a 90-day challenge card, and uh, it looks a lot like this. In fact, it looks exactly like this because that's how copies work. And it just explains what this thing is and an opportunity for you to... Um, let us know what you're doing. And the reason why I think it's so important is not because we're gonna make you feel guilty. In fact, that's never our heart. Um, we wanna help you reach the goals that you have in your life. We wanna help you do the things God is challenging you to do in your life, in your finances, in your story. And we know it takes tools and encouragement to do that. And so I have some emails, some resources that I personally will send you to help you on this journey. Uh, one of the, the things that we do, we encourage people to experiment in one of two ways. Um, here with our church, and that is to begin experimenting with tithing, to actually take 10%, or for you, if you're just like 10 is a lot, just pick a percentage, okay? Pick a percentage and determine to give it over the 90 days. For some people, the challenge for you may be to give to above and beyond. Maybe you're just like, I've been tithing for a long time. I've been giving a certain amount consistently. Um, I think God is trying to stretch me beyond that. Every year, we want to become more generous with our life than the year before. And what we do at our church is to make this as like uh, non-scary as possible. Uh, if you fill out this card and let us follow up with you over these 90 days, if at the end of that period you're like, you know what, that did not work, okay? I do not feel better about myself as a person. I don't feel like God blessed my life because of this. I don't feel less connected to materialism than before I started doing this. Uh, we will give you your money back. Uh, we've been saying this for years and years and years now. And uh, with, without any exception, nobody has ever asked for their money back. Some of you are like, I'm gonna be the first one. I would love for you too, okay? Because what most people find is that living their life according to God's principles for their money isn't just something that like, it makes God happy somehow or it makes the church happy somehow. The reason why God asks us to do anything that he asks us to do in scripture is because he knows it's going to fulfill you. He is trying to help you align your life with ultimate reality, with the way that you were designed to function. And when you do, things are better. We want that for you. God wants that for you. So for those of you that feel challenged and wanna take this today, you can fill that out. You can drop it in the giving towers on the way out. You can give it to somebody at the connect counter, however you wanna do that. Uh, we would love to follow up with you and pray that God would do something amazing in your life as you take your finances seriously over these next 90 days. Would you bow your heads across this room? I just wanna pray this into your life today. God, thank you so very much for how much you love us, um, for the fact that your word says that you bless us, 
that you enrich us in every single way so that we can have what we need, enjoy our lives and be generous with all we have. God, we wanna be people that reflect you and that we are generous like you. And God, I pray that we wouldn't have a narrow focus on this, that it wouldn't just be a box we check off or a line item. God, may those be the training wheels that sort of get us moving in this direction. But ultimately, may the thing that you do in our hearts and in our lives, God, may it be softening our hearts, making us others focused, letting our hearts sink with yours and allowing us to be people who live according to principles that are consistent with your heart and make the world better. God, we know if we take on the challenge to do what you've asked us to do, you always do more with our obedience than we could have ever imagined. God, bring freedom and fulfillment as we practice this process in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.